For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. What's up? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am Shane, your host as always. Oh, I'm so excited. We've got a very exciting next couple of weeks. In case you missed it, a very, very cool punk rock record came out. Two of my favorite artists collaborated on a split record covering each other's songs. No effects, probably my all-time favorite, and probably my favorite in the last, let's say, 10 years, Mr. Frank Turner. Such a cool idea, a little bit outside the box, not something you'd expect. A while back, quite a long time ago, actually, No Effects did a split record with Rancid, You know, that makes a lot of sense, but this is a lot different. And I am pleased to announce that I was able to talk to both Frank Turner himself and Fat Mike, lead singer of the almighty No Effects. So today, I talked to Frank, and next week on Wednesday, yes, the Fat Mike will be on the show this is super super rad and i am so excited to be able to bring this to y'all and make sure you listen to the record because it's out now it just came out it is a super super fun record before i share my conversation with frank thank you for being here everybody i hope you listen to my talk with an actual living legend dennis DeYoung, formerly of sticks probably the funniest and most entertaining episode we've had on the show seriously out of the 200 and something it was one of my favorites so if you missed that go back check it out there's no shame in going back and listening to the ones you missed i love it and of course if you do like the show feel free to write a review on itunes that helps a lot preferably five stars if you want to help out the show check out the lead singer syndrome all access club for even more episodes interaction with me Interaction with other fans of the show, Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, a whole bunch of great stuff. And it starts at as little as $6 a month. The link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. It is the reason that the show is free every single week due to the very, very generous members of the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club, who I call my sinners. Shout out to all my sinners worldwide. That link again, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Oh, and you can email me too. I read all my email. I've been a little bit bad at getting back to people over the last couple of weeks. I still do. You know, 
I still do my best, but I uh, will try to get back to you. And if I ever missed your email, just email me again. Syndrome at gmail.com. And I definitely will read every single thing you send me. If you've got suggestions for upcoming guests of the show, you want to give me some feedback, whatever it is, hey, feel free. Syndrome at gmail.com. I guess that's about it. Let's get into it. Here's my talk with Frank Turner. And if love is really all that we need, then even all my singing is never gonna save me. Music, well, it's my substitute for love. Well, I've had many different girls inside my bed. Only one or two inside my head. These days I cuddle up to my Hi. Hi, man. It's good to talk to you. Definitely. I sent you an email a couple weeks ago when I found out about this no effects thing just because I wanted to congratulate you on that crazy milestone, right? Like it's pretty insane. All the things you've done in your career, you know, all the huge shows and playing new countries and all the great albums and everything you've made and money you've raised for charity, like all these things. But for some reason, being able to do a split with no effects, it's just on this different level, right? Like this is so oh, exciting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. I am like so stoked for you, you know, just because I know, you know, we're the same age. We grew up in the same era and this is yeah, ama- totally. amazing. Well, so you get it. So, I mean, probably let me put it this way. One of my favorite parts of the whole process has been letting my friends who I grew up with know that it's happening. <laughs> right. Like my buddy Ben, who played a million dead with me, he plays a Mongol Hall with me now. When I texted him and told him I was doing a split with no effects, he, he didn't reply for about five minutes, which is unusual for him. And then he replied and just said, I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> um, you know, and this thing, as you say, like we're, we're of the similar kind of punk rock era and no effects are just a foundational band. They're still one of my all time favorite bands. I love them. Um, I've loved them for years and years and years. And I've known Mike for 10 years and that in itself is cool as hell, you know, to travel for through sure. this world and get, get to know people that you grew up idolizing or listening to their music or however you want to put it. And then, um, yeah, so last summer, Mike and I were crossing paths at a festival as you do. Yeah. And he just came over and said, Hey man, do you want to, do you want to do a split? And I was just like, what? <laughs> you know, because like the last time they did one was was with Rancid in 2002, right. Right. 18 years ago. And I bought that when it came out. And if you told me 18 years ago that the next time NoFX released a split, it would be with me. <laughs> I would have shit myself on the spot. You know what I mean? And and I'm still kind of shitting myself now in yeah. a good way. So, yeah, just you know, cross it's, off, it's pretty wild. Cross off Rancid and put your name there, right? <laughs> like that's, it's so, uh, so strange, right? But I mean... There's also like this, and this is like, you know, a a bigger statement than just, oh, bands put out splits together and whatever. Like, you meet people at festivals, you see them around, you don't really know for sure how much, like, Fat Mike really fucks with your music. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you guys are friends, and and maybe he says, oh, like, this song is cool, or, you know, nice show. But for a guy like that to come (laughs) up to you and and say that, like, right away, you must have felt pretty legitimized as a songwriter as a you know because we all have the thinnest skin we're all like so self-critical so for that to happen it's like the sally field like you know they really like me they really like me (laughs) yeah well totally i mean like you say this it's funny you should mention because that whole good show nice show dude thing is is very prevalent in our industry and it's like i do that all the time and you just say it because i don't want to be the kind of person who says oh you sucked or whatever after a show (laughs) and so you know sometimes people are amazing but generally speaking if somebody's out there doing their thing and they're giving them they're all you kind of go good show you know it's just yeah. a polite thing to do but you never know kind of how much sincerity is in that and mike's been complimentary about my music in the past and we've had some pretty kind of boozy late night sessions talking about it but like you say it's difficult to judge somebody's sincerity within that kind of context particularly sure. if everybody's sure. drunk or you're at a show or whatever it might be but the fact that he turned around and asked me to do this and I'm, to blow my own trumpet just for a second didn't ask anybody else to do it first you know what i mean it's like, other than oh right right it was it was kind of like Fuck, man. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So um, so that's kind of cool. The other thing that kind of that brings up is that, and I can't really talk about this without sounding defensive, so fuck it, I'm just going to sound defensive. But, like, I talk about punk rock quite a lot. I grew up listening to punk rock. Um, I understand that if a kid comes along and just hears, like, the way I tend to be or whatever, they might look askance at me and wonder why I'm talking about punk rock because that's not a punk rock song, you know, and just be like, 
and, and indeed people do and people get pretty pissed off at me from time to time being like what the fuck have you got to do with punk rock and all the rest right, of it right. and from my point of view there's no more kind of official blue tick in this world in, in, in punk than doing <laughs> sure. a split with no effects. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just kind of like, fuck you. You know, that's my badge of honor right there. That's, that's, I love that. I love that. When you heard no effects doing the bout of all my friends, I mean, you must've been beside yourself. Like, especially that's a song you wrote so early in your career. It's yeah. like, it's a song that like, I don't know. Is it even on an official record? Like it's, Yes, it's the last track on the on the first album. Oh, okay, right. Because I remember back in the day, it was like hard to get it. Maybe because that album yeah. was hard to get. Well, that that album wasn't so much released in the in uh, stateside yeah. or in Canada or whatever. I think I only had like a live version of it or something, and that's why I wonder. Well, you like, know what? There, there is on there is only a live version of it. There is no studio version oh, of that song. Okay, well then that's then that's what I fucking mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that was a decision to to only have a live version. You know? No, no, I I love that, and I'm gonna edit this out so I don't look like a fucking idiot, or maybe I won't. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, like for but for a song like that, you know, that's a live song, yeah. and it's like it's for them to pick that one, especially yeah. when you can imagine where you were when that song was being oh, written. Yeah. Like you know, it isn't just like oh, I wrote this like a month ago, and it's like I, I believe yeah. in it. That no, must totally. have been the, like which of these songs that that you heard, which of them really like struck you right away as like holy fuck, I this th- is happening. I mean. I- I think that would probably, that's the obvious example. And I mean, there's a couple of extra things about this. I mean, as you say, I mean, I wrote that song really at a point in time when like no one cared. I just, I wrote it after I played a show in Toulouse in France to like three people in, in like an outdoor place, which would have held several thousand kind of thing. <laughs> right. and, and I was missing my friends at home just thinking about, you know, it's a song about, it doesn't matter if it's not going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? You still do it. Um, and, and, I've sung I've sung that song as the closing song at like arena shows. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like that in itself is pretty f- fucking insane. Yeah. And but this is a whole new level of it. One of the other things that makes it a whole new level as well, incidentally, is that one one of the things of that song is No Effects have a song called "I'm Definitely Going to Hell for This One." Oh yeah, which yeah. Does, which does not feature that as a lyric. And when <laughs> I heard it many years ago, I thought to myself, "Motherfucker, if you're not going to use it, I am." Oh, and crazy. It was kind of that was kind of the 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 launching off point for this for those lyrics. Yeah, and um, you know, so it's, for it to come full and Mike didn't know that, I might add. So for it to come full circle like this is pretty amazing for me. Um, the other thing I should say is that like one of the cool things with the split is that we didn't um, we sort of arranged to do it and then. And basically, we, we didn't even discuss this, but it was just kind of understood that we would then kind of talk again when we were both finished and that no one would have any kind of input or opinions about song choices or mixes or arrangement or anything. It was like, go and do your thing, I'll go and do mine, and then we'll come back together again. So the first time I heard anything of No Effects' side of the split was when I heard the finished mastered mixes. Um, and that was cool as shit, you know, because it was just, it was such a cool way of like um, being able to listen to it as a third party almost, you know yeah. what I mean? Or at least yeah. as an objective listener. And No Effects such a distinctive sonic style you know that drum sound that guitar sound that vocal whatever it might be those vocal harmonies so for me you know to hear any of any song that i wrote at any point coming back through my speakers with fucking fat mike and smelly and el jefe and eric and all the rest of it like playing those parts was it's hard to describe how that feels um other than fucking incredible (laughs) that's awesome and speaking of the songs that you did um you know and well first of all the fact that you know that song um, I'm going to hell for this one is pretty cool mm. too because that's like only on that EP. That's like yeah. that's the sign. It's like Jesus Christ is coming back, right? Like that's yeah, yeah, the exactly. uh, yeah. That's a deep cut too, and a great song. Um, you know that legitimizes you. But when you're picking the songs, that must be so challenging because you have to do ones that you can do in your own style, but you want to keep yeah. them true to the original. And there are so many no effect songs. Yeah, tr- and so totally. Many good um, ones. Um, yeah, completely. You know, what was your like approach there? Yeah, so I mean, this is, this is the thing you've already kind of mentioned the heart of it, which, which I think that as a fellow musician we understand is like there's no point in doing a straight cover of a song because then people can go and listen to the original. So I sat down and listened through to their entire catalog, like literally the whole thing, which was really cool because I yeah. actually discovered yeah. some stuff I didn't know anyway, which was cool. And like I kept my mind open. I obviously have a whole load of favorite songs, but um, the the major kind of driving um, imperative was that I wanted to be able to pick songs where I could bring something to the table. You know what I mean? Where I could give it my own spin in a way that was kind of meaningful and convincing and not just changing it for the sake of it. And it's a salutary lesson in the fact that arrangement and songwriting are two separate endeavors. 
you know. Um, yeah. The obvious example is always Joe Cocker's version of Little Help with My Friends yeah. to me because I think it's better than the original, in my opinion. Um, and that's not to do the Beatles down in any way, but holy fuck, Joe Cocker's version of that song, you know. Um, so uh, it was. So that was the thing, listening through, making those choices. And, and indeed, we had a longer list with The Sleeping Souls and I, and some songs didn't make it because I couldn't find my way in. So, yeah. for example, yeah. we spent a while fucking around with the song Seeing Double at the Triple Rock, which I love. Yeah. Um, and the problem is that song's based around that riff. And if you yeah. take the riff out, it's not quite the same song. But if you put the riff in, then you have to play it in a certain way. And we just ended up kind of playing the song again. And it was like, well, this is a waste of everybody's time. Right. You know, we need to do it our way. So, um, so yeah, there was a lot of kind of messing around. My, my favorite song on my side of the split, if I'm allowed to have one, is our version of Eat the Meek. Um, oh, and yeah. I think of that now simply because that was a, we had a similar thing with that, which we, we kept gravitating back towards the original arrangement, which is a vote of confidence in that arrangement, I should say. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. a demonstration yeah. that it's a good arrangement, but it was like it was kind of like a siren call and we kept ending up in this kind of dubby place with a punk ending. And it was like, well, that's how the original goes. That's a waste of time. But I love that song so much. I wanted to do it. And in the end, the magic word, I turned to my um, bass player, Taron, yeah. my drummer, Nigel, and I said, Fugazi. I said, try playing the rhythm section like your Brendan Canty and Joe Lally. And they did. And suddenly it came together. You cool. know what I mean? Suddenly cool. it, it like we had a vibe and then it went other places after that in a kind of like national, um, almost death cabbie kind of vibe over the top. But, um, you know, the, the principle remained that it was the Fugazi building block that built that. Yeah, no. Well, thank yeah. you for putting the, the scream in there, too. I was listening. <laughs> yeah, I was, was listening to it, and I was like, "All right, this song. You know, he's doing this differently, but you know, there's certain parts, like there's certain elements that need to be there, and the, the discarded scream. youth it's, scream needs to be the there. It's the best bit of the fucking song. It's right? probably the best bit of the whole album, right? <laughs> but and then I like that you actually brought it into the, you know, the mix too. Like it doesn't just go away. Like you actually incorporated it, which was a cool, you know, sort of vibe yeah. too to have that that vocal in the ending. I I, I thought you killed it on that one. Well, thank you. And I mean, but you you understand this as well. You've, you've got to do something different. You've got to think, find your own imprint. And, and as I say, not in a way that's just doing it differently for the sake of it, but that you've got to justify your decisions as a, as a musician. But at the same time, you know, make it your own. Otherwise, don't bother. Totally. Well, you did keep a lot of the melodies the same. And maybe, yes, that's, maybe that's the glue that keeps it all together. Otherwise, it starts to meander yeah. into not even a cover territory in some cases. But I noticed that. No, totally. and, and maybe it's also just because you've heard those songs so many fucking times. How can you think of the melody differently? That, that's, a, that's a big part of it. It's like it's quite difficult for me to sing, sing like a song like Bob, for example, without right. singing it how it goes. I mean, in terms of the simple top line melody. But Bob's an interesting one because like ever since I was a kid, um, when I probably didn't even have the vocabulary to say it in quite this way, I thought that was a country song. It sounds like George... <laughs> Excuse me. It sounds like George Jones to me. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, and it always has done. And it was like, obviously, the original arrangement doesn't sound like that. But those lyrics are pure fucking seventies country, and so that's kind of what the vibe we were trying to go for. Uh, that's that's awesome. Well, another thing you did was you picked two final tracks. You know, deep cuts. One mm. was a slower one that you did fast, and one was a faster one that you did slow. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and turning, have you and grasped turning, the principle? Right, and turning <laughs> and turning falling in love. You know, basically, let's kind of like got that weird intro, and then it's like a minute, and it's a flash, and it's done, and it's amazing. But you turned it into this four-minute epic. That's like, you know, your voice was struck me the most. I think, like, it was I'm like, I don't think I've heard him sing quite in that register before. Totally, and, and it's obviously there's a big nod to Lenny Cohen and the arrangement. Yeah, there, yeah. And- vocal styling but um so that was kind of interesting to a couple of things that first of all pretty much the first time me and mike hung out hung out socially like not at a festival but like actually socially hung out um we we were um staying up late into the night drinking and all the rest of it and i and i said to him and we were talking about that song and i said that that was one of my favorite no effect songs and he looked at me and he said really he said it's one of my favorite songs i've ever written but literally no one else ever says that hmm. and i was like well they're fucking wrong. It is one of the best songs he's ever written. In one of my, my one of my favorites too, man. Right, and so you know when we agreed to do the split, like immediately I knew I was going to do that song, and I, and I kind of had that vibe. The other thing, and you will get this completely, is that like so we tracked the our side of the split. We did the drums in our rehearsal space, and then we did the rest of it kind of on the road, just using kind of like yeah. Log, yeah. logic plugins and all that kind of thing, you know, and and then getting a great mixer on it. And um, one of the perils of doing that is tour voice. 
And I'm sure you know what I mean by tour voice. It's I like do. you're halfway through a tour and you're just kind of croaky all day apart from when you're on stage and even then. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I took a few days off drinking kind of thing and we had a day off. And then the day after the day off, I tracked most of the vocals that day. But for Falling in Love, it was like we got into a hotel room in somewhere in Germany. And it was, you, you know, we, it was the day before day off, roadie Friday, where you kind of party a little <laughs> yes. bit. And yes. I kind of, I kind of shuffled into this hotel room feeling like I was going to die. And then it just suddenly thought to myself, now is the time to record that vocal. Like make a use of tour voice, right. make a use of the fact that I feel like a sack of assholes, and and I kind of put a blanket over my head in in a hotel room. I had the guitar part down already, and just kind of like croaked it, you know what I mean? And and it was totally the vibe that I was looking for. I'm really pleased it came out like that. No, it sounds great. I mean, yeah, it sound it doesn't sound like that at all. It sounds almost like you're in you're you're like recording it into like a vintage like tube microphone or something, you know? Yeah. Like it, it's amazing what we can do these days. Um, Absolutely. With with all that stuff. And, like, I I don't know if it's more magical for people, like, for fans to hear that story or less magical. But I I personally love (laughs) it. I just love that it's possible that you can be creative and people can hear something that you just come up with in the middle of the night, you know, and you don't have to wait wait to get in fucking studio and and run the tape machine or some shit like you had to, you know, 25 years ago. This, well, this is one of the things. I, I have a bit of an issue with some of that kind of nostalgia for the sort of big studio and expensive equipment era because the only people who got to use it were people who were fucking rich and successful, you know? And there's something amazingly leveling and democratic about the fact that if you know what you're doing, you can get a bunch of technology on a computer for nowhere near the cost of what it used to cost to go into a studio, you know? And you can make good records if you've got good ears and good good technique and all the rest of it. And I yeah. think that's cool, actually, because it means that the kind of the barriers to entry, there's no kind of gatekeepers anymore. You don't have to impress an A&R guy to be allowed to be in a big studio. You just fucking, you know, you can go and make a record on your own. I think that's way... That's, so it, there, there are pluses and minuses to both ends of it, but I think on balance is way better than the way things are now. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So um, let's just talk about the state of the world for a minute, shall we? Um, <laughs> we, don't ha- we don't have to get, you know, too into all the nuts and bolts, but, you know, more just you personally. I mean, you are the epitome of a working touring musician, and you have been for sure. a long time. Um, show 2500 coming up. We'll plug that real yeah. quick. August 9th. Um, yes. That's going to be a live, a live stream. stream. Yeah. Full band as well. The Sleeping Souls are going to be part of that, which will awesome. be fun. I mean, right. it's I mean, still a live stream. It's still not an actual kind of show in front of an audience. And, and that is kind of, um, I, I don't want to say it's sad. If it's going to be fun, it's going to be a total blast. I can't wait to see the boys in the band and all the rest right. of it. It's been a while. But like, it's it's a funny time. I mean, you know, the change, because first of all, I was on tour when lockdown kicked in over here and we had to cancel the rest of the tour and come home. Right after that, 2472. I saw that. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And and the thing that one of the things I found interesting about that, I mean, difficult, but at the time, but interesting in retrospect is like, uh, throughout my whole professional career to date, my attitude has always been kind of like a black flag thing of put your head down, just carry on. I've done shows where I've been sick, but we've had breakdowns yeah. where people have injured themselves and you just fucking go for it and you do it and you do it and nothing slows you down. Yeah. yeah and Henry Rollins always says he can't stop the rock, you know, and all this kind of thing. Right. And that attitude, that attitude has seen me good for, for, for decades, two decades. And then for the first time in my life, I hit a situation where that was the wrong decision. Yeah. Yeah. because it's about public health. And that was really challenging for me, you know, because like I say, my attitude was like, well, fuck them, I'm just going to do the show. And then, you know, of course, my fr- my friends, my wife, my manager, and everyone was like, I don't think that that's necessarily the good idea right here. And, and of course, they're right. And I, and I thought of this too. But it was it was challenging for me to kind of sit there and go, yeah. shit, I need to stop. I need to go home. I need to well, lock down. I'll tell you, man, you weren't the only one. You know, Silverstein, we were oh, on yeah. the road, too. We were in the middle of our 20th anniversary tour. We, mm. played, we, played, oh, Charlotte, we played Charlotte, North Carolina, and that was on March uh, 11th. And then the 12th, uh. we had a day off. And that was like, things were changing rapidly, you know, like, oh, yeah. like by the... I'd say hour, but even more rapidly than that. It's like, yeah. okay, we're going to drive to Atlanta and do the show. No, we're not. Yes, we are. They say we can do it, but maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. Like, But you're right. We come from a, a, a mentality that, you know, it's the old adage, the show must go on, and that's right, what we do. And 
It's true. Yeah. There was some point when we when it it clicked in my mind. It's like, wait a second. Yeah, like this isn't just about us. This you know, exactly. This isn't about That's like a bus payment that we have to worry about. You know, right? Or, or, or indeed about my my fucking punk rock one hundred and one stripes or whatever. Exactly. You know, right. Uh, it's you know the important thing is actually to be considerate and of other people and all the rest of it. You know, I, I mean, think the other thing, the other things of lockdown, and I'm sure this is the same for you, is that like it's not just that it's it's affected me financially. I mean, I've lost ninety percent of my income overnight indefinitely which, which <laughs> yeah. you know does, does it is not a small thing do you know what i mean right. like that fucking matters um uh so that's kind of interesting but also i think the other thing because this is this is this was true for my wife at the start of lockdown as well but i, I think the difference is you know my to use a, a kind of a perhaps a slightly loaded word but like my identity is a touring person you know and has been for such a long time and i figured out that this is miles and away the longest time I've spent in one place since I was seven years old. I had that on my um, I had that on my question list. Yeah, That's, yeah. Just since you were seven, holy shit! Since I was seven, because I, I got shipped off to like boarding schools and shit when I was a kid, and like you know, um, came home and stuff. But like, I, I haven't slept in the same bed for this long since I was seven years old, um, and it's it's a huge change for me. And there's a you know, there's been a lot of good actually. I mean, it's the longest period of time I've ever spent with my wife, and I'm pleased to say we get on really well. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's good. Nice. There's a lot of people yeah, breaking you know, up right now. So. No, I've seen that. And like, you know, it's just funny. A friend of mine near the beginning, a friend of mine said, "Oh, we'll get this best bet. There's going to be a lot of lockdown babies." And I was like, "Dude, there's going to be a lot of lockdown divorces." Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um, but like, um, but no, we, we're getting on famously and it's fantastic and that's great um and in fact we're moving house we've decided to change the way that we live our life a little bit and there's financial reasons for that but also we're moving to the seaside which i'm very excited about to the coast going to be near a beach and stuff and i'm really excited about that um uh, but all of that you know that i had no intention of leaving the place we live at the start of the year fucking hell do you know what i mean it's like it's kind of crazy now it's like we're we're starting to think about like packing up and it's just it's kind of weird well yeah Um, it's 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 true like i mean i i imagine you felt probably pretty depressed and overwhelmed that initially with all this but then i guess you start to settle in a little bit and then you sort of you see your own life from a different perspective. You do. I think one of the most important things for me is understanding that like as much as there were parts of this that were hard for me, it's a lot of people have it much, much harder. And I think that, you know, whilst like (laughs) difficulty is not like a, a, com- a competition sport you know what i mean at the same time it's it's kind of healthy to consider that kind of thing you know the house where we live now has a little bit of outdoor space which in the depths of lockdown was incredible we were so lucky to have that i have friends who live in places with no outdoor space i have friends who are um, locked down on their own and stuff like this so you know i try i tried very hard to be kind of thankful for what i have should we say um so yeah, it's 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 been a, it's it's a strange time though, man. Like you know, and and there were definitely some down moments. I mean, the fact that we had to cancel last evenings in Berlin was probably the shittiest part of it for me. Um, you know, it's my big thing every year, and this year, yeah. um, the, the, what would have been last evenings for? Like, first of all. It was the hardest bill to get together. We worked on it so much. But when we finally got to the end of it, it was the best one yet by fucking miles. We had Henry Rollins on the fucking bill. We had, you know, we had um, uh, all these great bands. We had Catfish in the Bottom and we had Katie Tunstall and we had all this great shit going down and Turbostart um, from Germany. And it was going to be amazing. And to pull that, that was the day where I actually went and kind of walked to the park and screamed at a tree for a bit. Do you know what I mean? It was just like... You know, and it's like, darling, I love you. I need to go and scream at an animal object for a little while here. So give me a second. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of people are feeling that way. You know, it's, 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 yeah. it can be a little bit hopeless. You know, I know you obsessively count every show, you know, uh, mm. and it got shut down at 2472. That was the reference to that number earlier for people yeah. that didn't know what the hell I was talking about. So I'm just doing the math here. And, you know, show 2500 is going to be August 9th. Mm. Uh, that means you've done, if my math is correct, uh, 27 live streams? Yeah, Since basically, you've been yeah. Home. And at the beginning, I wasn't sure whether to count those as shows or not, but it, then it, you know, it became apparent that the world had changed pretty significantly. Right. And I think that I'm allowed to kind of be flexible on my rules at that point. Um, but yeah, I did a lot. I mean, I did this whole series of weekly shows. I did 16 weeks of weekly shows and then a bunch of other ones on the side as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we raised a lot of money um, yeah. for independent venues, which was really cool. Um, and it, it, it gave my week structure. That was a big thing for me about lockdown generally. I need structure in my life. You know, you know as well as I do that the stereotype about tour being about freedom is kind of nonsense. Tour is an incredibly regimented way of living your life. You've got to fucking 
tour book. You know, you've got a day sheet. You have shit to do. Yeah. Um, your, your tour manager tells you where to be and when and all the rest of it. And so, you know, the beginning of lockdown for me was a little bit like the couple of days when you get home from tour and you just go and do nothing at all for a couple of days. Um, but the problem is you can't do that for four months. You know what I mean? You lose your fucking mind. And so I, I found that I needed to kind of build routine and structure into my day. Otherwise, I was going to go crazy or just be drunk all the time or whatever. Um, And one of the ways of doing that for me was doing these weekly shows. I always knew what day of the week it was relative to the coming Thursday or the previous Thursday. Yeah, no, I I know. I I watched the Love Iron song one. I was, Mm. that was, I was especially, well, I mean, I watched a few of them, but I was especially excited for that one, you know, being that's my favorite album of yours, the first one I ever heard. Um, But, you know, when you play through, you know, I guess your entire discography more or less, um, I don't know if you did all your albums, but oh, I did. Um, I got right. into covers. I got into B sides. Right, I did right. a fucking Disney set at one point. Oh yeah, yeah. I, saw, I saw that too on your on your. Feed. I, I just I ran out of songs, man. Right. I totally ran out of songs. Right. I mean, I mean, what is it like to rediscover those old songs? You know, like well, like especially deep cuts that you probably haven't maybe ever played or like live or at least not in a very long time. Yeah, or not solo was a big thing as well. Because oh, well, obviously, true. you know, the band went around. So there were a few songs where I had to be like, how the fuck am I going to carry this off without, you know, the right. sequence without off the bass me? note um, playing whatever. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and the drums driving it or whatever. Um, so, you know, it was definitely, um, it, was, it was a really interesting process. And there was, you know, there was a lot of kind of, um, if I may be so bold, kind of gems for me that I kind of rediscovered. I think one of the coolest parts of me is that like um, the album Tape Deck Heart was, has been my biggest success for, like commercially to date. Um, and for various reasons, and that's kind of one of them, it's a record I have slightly mixed feelings about. And there's certainly bit, you know, I, I've always been slightly uh, about some of that record because it felt like a, a step into the commercial and perhaps sonic mainstream. And I wasn't sure right. how I felt about that and all the rest of it. And the process, and there's obviously some of my biggest hits are on that record but quite a lot of the rest of that record i haven't really played or thought about for for you know however long it is seven years and that record in particular i sat down and played through the whole thing and i came out of it kind of going fuck man that's a great record like there's some good fucking songs on the album and you know it was it was a pleasant kind of moment of rediscovery for me that one well, yeah, it's better to go that way than the other way. <laughs> you know? yeah, oh, man, this record fucking sucks. Man, I'm, I am really <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. No, that's um, that's cool. What what Disney songs did you play? How did, well, did people just, suggest them, and did you know them all? No, no people, people made suggestions, which made me feel old, because it turns oh, yeah. out I haven't really watched any Disney films since the 90s. <laughs> so, like, I, I, I didn't do a song from Aladdin because it felt a bit new for me. And then, like... <laughs> I mean, genuinely, this is true because I don't have children. Like Frozen was something of a revelation to me. I, I, I was like, "What the fuck is Frozen?" Um, I, I, I've heard of it, but it's that that song, the "Let It Go." Is that what it's yeah, called? It's the one, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So, but the problem with that is, um, first of all, a couple of things. As a, as a new listener for that song, first of all, it fuck me. Does it sound like a Tori Amos song? Like all the verses sound like Tori Amos, like you wouldn't yeah. believe to my ears. Um, but secondly, that song's a lot of crazy fucking chord changes in it, and I was looking for stuff that was easy to play. So <laughs> I was just kind of like, I'm not going to learn all of that shit. Um, I mean, it's hard to learn a song that you don't know, like the melody intimately. You know what I mean? It's like because yeah. then you're starting from scratch. It's okay to learn the chords if you know how the top line goes. Um, but you know, I did. I did um, something from the Jungle Book. I did um, Chim Chimney, Chim Chimney, Chim Chim Chiri. Um, <laughs> yes. the, the main ones. The main one that I did was from the Little Mermaid because that's the one that my sisters used to watch on on loop when I was oh, a kid. That soundtrack is incredible. I, I had a, uh, I had the tape. I don't know where I got the tape, but I have. I must still have the Little Mermaid tape, and I used to listen to it, and and yeah, and the songs are great. That's punk as fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, man. It's, it, it has Under the Sea, and it has Kiss yeah. the Girl on it. It's two bangers yeah. of tunes, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, <laughs> damn, dude. Okay, I didn't know we were going to be talking about that. That's uh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> so, so what else? I mean, it's I know it's hard to kind of you know, talk about, like, the only thing I see on the books other than the live stream August 9th is potentially doing a cruise with Flogging Molly. Like, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Um, I mean, there's, like, people are starting to book stuff for next year, and, like, I have slightly mixed feelings about that because, to my mind, 
it's a bad shout to book something and then have to cancel it again. And I think there's a lot of people who are just kind of going, well, it's going to be fine by April next year because it has to be. And the answer right. to that is like, well, right. what, well, why? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what, what are you basing your argument on? You know, and um, I think you've got to see, I really sincerely hope things return to, in quotes, normal sooner rather than later. But I think that until that happens, you've got to reserve judgment to a degree. Um, there's a couple of things. I work very closely with the Music Venue Trust over here, which is the, the kind of the charity that looks after independent yeah. venues. Um, they are the guys who run the charity are in quite close consultation with the government and there's talk about trying to figure out like some kind of pilot shows if you know what I mean to, to, to look at like how that might look going forward and I might be involved in those so that would be cool but generally speaking you know my diary is pretty empty right now um, uh, which is a weird thing um, the one thing I've been doing during lockdown and this goes this goes to what we were talking about just before you press record um, which I'm going to be slightly oblique in referring to but like um <laughs> until four months ago i was somebody who could kind of sort of fiddle with logic enough to kind of get a decent demo down you know what i mean yeah that was kind of the extent of my knowledge and what i've done the main thing i've done with my time in lockdown is teach myself how to engineer mix and produce um i mean production's a loaded word but certainly to to mix and to engineer right and um you know i now know what the release time in a compressor does and i spent half a day (laughs) studying ds's and like i've been mixing and mixing and mixing and mixing and i'm making records both for my i mean not i'm not going to make like my frontline sort of a a list records myself because i think having an external pair of ears is a very useful thing in that environment but in terms of um uh you know side projects and stuff like that or records for other people i'm I'm getting really busy with that kind of stuff and indeed hoping that i might make something of a living doing that because as referred to earlier i don't for a minute want to kind of invite pity here but like you know i need to rethink my finances pretty hard right now right well i mean Clearly, you've been very prolific in the songwriting department, but you know mm-hmm. there is something to be said for being able to put together a decent demo and know how to, you know, right. put to like like I don't I'm not saying it has to necessarily be you know out the door ready, but if you can record a bunch of things and program you know drums like you know properly and all that, you know, even get yeah. someone else to mix it at first, and that's you know that can go out the door. So I, well, I totally, totally well, there's I, totally a skill. Yeah. Not to mention that, but you're going to learn so much about just the tricks that can also in turn make you more creative. Right. Completely. And I think that one of the things I find really interesting is that like, um, because since doing this, I mean, I'm hoping to get to a place where I'm going to be mixing records that get released commercially. You know what I mean? That's, and, and indeed I'm just finishing off the first of those as we speak. Um, but like, I think that, um, one of the things I find really interesting is it is affecting my writing in a positive way. Cause I'm writing a lot at the moment as well for another record, but it's like the line between kind of writing arrangement and production is starting to blur pretty heavily because technology is so easy to use these days. And it's almost like, you know, you can kind of write a riff and then you can try out three vocal takes and then you can go back and switch the riff around to match the vocal take that you like or whatever. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it's like that suddenly that old idea that you write a song and then you arrange a song and then you record a song and then you mix a song, those kind of boundaries are breaking down in a way that I think is really interesting and really creative. So, you know, I've definitely knowing how to operate um, the machinery that I'm using to record more enables me to be more creative in many ways. Absolutely, dude. I love that. Wow. Okay, man. Well, I don't have too much else to ask you about. What What am I forgetting? Um, um, no, it's all good, man. How I, are you? How's How's your lockdown? Well, like I said at first, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty weird, pretty rough. You know, getting kind of the the rug pulled out from under me on the middle of, sure. of tour and the tw- and the twenty anniversary tour as well, yeah, man. That's and it was going so well. You know, like nah. selling out these these big biggest shows we've ever played. And then uh, it's like everyone's getting along and, you know, everything is just like, <laughs> you know, all everything going right. And then, of course, it just it's like that's just the way yeah, the way it always goes. Life throws curveballs. But no, I've, I've found you're right. I, I've found kind of my own little stride, my own little routine. I've been doing a bunch of like, you know, I've gotten into some like stuff around the house. You know, you're watching YouTube, huh. YouTube videos on DSers, um, which which for people that don't know, that's a way that. A vocal vocal will sound less like this. Uh, I have, and I should have one on this mic that I'm recording this into, and I probably, <laughs> I probably will use my my Sheps Omni Channel on this one. That's oh, uh, a big fan of the Sheps Omni Channel. Over isn't here. that a great, great plugin? And it's got two it two DSers, which sometimes you need. Um, yeah. Oh, listen. But I know this isn't what people tuned in for. But if you're somebody <laughs> who does mixing, um, check out. Have you, are you familiar with Smack Attack from Waves? 
No, I don't think I know that smack way. Attack. Slogan. No, Dude, if you want to if you want to mix drums, get Smack Attack. Holy motherfucker! It is the most like accurate transient designer that I've ever come anywhere near. Cool. It's like it's like game changing. Smack Attack, check it out. Wow. Okay. I anyway, will, right there we go. Omnitel. Whatever. Yeah. What yeah. The yeah. Fuck are we so about? you know you're going you're going down the road and onto that, and I'm I'm like figuring out what kind of mulch to buy for my garden, and you know oh, nice. like I'm watching YouTube videos on you know, like home improvement stuff, which ultimately. It's probably not good for the long term. I'm not going to get into into uh, no, uh, man. contracting, but that's yeah, that's, sure. It, no, but necessarily, it's it's, it's kind of nice to, to to be able to say that you did stuff around the house. Yeah, actually, yeah. do you, do you know um, do you know John Snowgrass? Um, friend of mine, he's a country singer from Colorado. I I know um, I know his music. I don't know him personally. No. Yeah, I was I was chatting with him the other day, and like he was basically at the start of lockdown, him and his wife kind of pulled. Well, him and his wife, he basically like pulled down <laughs> half his house, thinking, "Well, I can do some work." And then realized he didn't really know what he was doing. So he's been living in a kind of like fucking half pulled down wreck oh, um, no. with his two kids and like watching YouTube videos about how to like do a wall or whatever. And I was just like, did it not occur to you to look this up before you fucking smashed it down in the first place? Right, right. Like it's like um, how it's like how hard can it be? And it like turns out yeah, pretty fucking hard. Yeah, really hard. There's a reason why people charge you money for this shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's it's really hard. It's never going to look as good, and it takes a long time. That's the other thing. Right. You know, you have to yes. have the... It's just like when people make records, and it's like, well, a song's three minutes, like, and you're like, yeah, I spent hours and hours and hours on each part of this song. It's kind of like, yeah. well, it's just a fucking flat wall. It's like, yeah, that, they spent hours on that wall, you know? Yeah, no, totally, <laughs> completely, completely. But um, I had a fan question here, real quick, uh, asking you, actually... Uh, how much the total amount you've raised for this uh, independent venue live stream is, and also if that's um, going to well, be something you're going to be doing uh, more of. Um, so, well, part A, like it's it slightly depends how you cut it. Um, if you, <laughs> if you're being kind of minimalist about it, like the the amount raised specifically for, in, I did 14 venues that was was just shy of 170 thousand pounds, wow, which is pretty cool. Um, I mean, but I did other fundraisers as well. I did one for my touring crew, for example. I did one for the merch company and the label, which kind of helps me as well, let's be honest. Um, so, you know, the, it's, you know the, the total amount raised throughout all the live streams is about 200K, but it's difficult to kind of say that all of that is charity, you know what I mean? But it's certainly... 165, 170 is, is, was for venues. Um, in terms of, I mean, like as I mentioned earlier, I've got plans of the Music Venue Trust. I, I sort of have a feeling that we're going to enter a period of time, certainly in the UK, um, where live music's quite kind of um, anarchic, almost guerrilla, I want to say. You know what I mean? Where it's going to be kind of like, I'm playing tonight here. Like, right. can you get there? Um, and, and in doing all of that kind of thing, my focus is very much going to be on independent venues still because... Um, you know, they're places I owe a debt to and they're places that I love and they're places that have supported me in the past and they're fucking fun to play, you know. So, um, yeah, just looking forward to uh, to getting into some of that stuff. But precisely what that's going to look like is quite hard to say at this point. That's great, man. That's great. Now, I have another couple fan questions here and I don't really underst- I don't understand them. So I'm <laughs> so I'm like, I guess I didn't do enough of my homework, but they're from uh, Melissa Gilroy. This says... Slightly random disclaimer, do you think Richard III really had a hand in the prince's demise, or was it a Tudor-Lancaster plot? Uh, (laughs) Do you know what this is? I do know what this is. I mean, so King Richard III, um, he had two... Uh, well, before he was king, he had two nephews who were the. Um, I think I'm right. Uh, this is a bit of history. I haven't brushed up on it in a while. I haven't done my homework either. Why is this like this is the question? Question number one. I'm like, what the? Fuck? I have no idea why I'm being asked this question. Oh, other than uh, I am, you I am have, a history nerd. You must have talked about it or something. It's. Some I point, guess, no? but I mean, um, the, essentially, essentially, yeah. There's this sort of great mystery that the the two princes, as they're known, who I, mean, I think one of them was either the heir to the throne or was even like legally the king at that point, and then nice uncle. Richard said he'd look after them and then they disappeared and were never seen again and then King Richard became well Richard became King Richard III um, and the general suspicion was that he murdered them they found two skeletons walled up in the Tower of London about wow. 50 years ago um, probably but I mean it's you know there's no, there's no universe in which anyone's ever going to meaningfully determine what happened 600 years ago there you go well the only two princes that I know is the spin doctors so uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> That's where I'm at with it. That's that's totally what that song's about, man. <laughs> Is it actually? I, mean, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I highly doubt it, but hey, you never know. Uh, you never know. 
And this other question, Sir Gawain, Gawain and the Green Knight was fantastic. Uh, what was it like to record uh, an audio book that you hadn't written? Would you consider doing something like that again? Yeah, so basically um, uh, Penguin, which is, you know, the big publishing house, they, they're doing a thing where they're, they're doing audio books of kind of um, – classics books where the author is not so alive or in this particular instance where the author is not clear because the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is an ancient, uh, well, it's a kind of middle English poem um, that was a, a very sort of formative piece of literature in English history um, and there's a new translation of it and they wanted to do an audiobook and the guy running the department doing these things is a fan apparently and he got in touch and said, would you be interested in doing the audiobook for Sir Gawain and the Green Knight? And I said fucking right, I would, that sounds amazing right. um, so I went down, I done audiobooks for my own books in the past um and it's quite a grueling process it has to be said um one of the things about doing your own audiobook is that you read your own book back and you go christ i could tidy this up do you know what i mean right. <laughs> you go and it's way too late by that point so it was kind of <laughs> nice reading out like a classic poem where i could just kind of glory in the language you know what i mean i mean if i get asked to do it again sure i'll do it again it was a, it was not a terrible way of, of uh, spending two days of my life did you record it yourself no, 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 there's a company that, that does okay, this stuff. Okay, so you had, there was like an engineer that said, I mean, do they help yeah. you? Like, do they say you're yeah. reading that too fast? Or yeah, is it they, just like, they, you fuck up the word, do it again? Like, how does that work? You, bit of column A, bit of column B. You kind of sit at a desk and you read it and you generally get into a rhythm and then you go back and start again. And then if you fuck up a word, you just go back a couple of lines and start again. And the guy makes a note on the computer. It's It's not the most interesting way of spending two days of your life. Um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of fun. You kind of get into the, uh, I mean, in this instance, it was kind of fun trying to get into the characters a little bit, you know? Um, I mean, I've never really acted in my life, but it was cool to sort of try and dramatically engage with the piece. Nice, dude. Well, man. And yeah, you got a couple books under your belt now, don't you? I mean, this, I do. this songwriting book finally came out. Uh, mm, and, yeah. uh, of course the road beneath my feet, um, uh, yeah, are you, are you working on new stuff now too? Um, um, you know, like everybody else, I was like, "Well, lockdown, I'm going to write a book," and then yeah. I haven't. Um, so uh, I don't know. It's kind of like I'm very much interested in doing more of that at some point, but quite when that will be and what it will be about. I'm interested in the idea of writing a book that's not about me because I've written a book about me touring and I've written a book about me playing songs, and both of them, the research process went like this. Huh? Okay. You know what I mean? I just kind of stopped and thought about it. Um, and the idea of actually having to do some research and do something that was more kind of historically grounded is attractive to me. Yeah. But it's also, that's easier to say than it is to do, shall we say. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, at some point down the road, that would be fun. Well, I mean, your last record wasn't about you, right? I mean, you, mm. you know, it was about... By design. I mean, right. It was a concept record about, um, you know, stories of, of women and, you know, yeah. that... I mean, we didn't even get into that. I kind of forgot. <laughs> uh, I guess we hadn't talked since that record came out. But, yeah. you know, that must have been a grueling process and kind of difficult on yeah. some levels to kind of like, because you, you're a man, right? Like, right, how much completely. do you relate in, in, on a lot, in a, lot of this, a lot of these things? Like, you can as a human being, but you can't as a man. Absolutely, completely. And, and I tried, I spent an awful lot of time thinking about that angle of it. I right. mean, in fact, I, I didn't sit down to write a record about women. I just sit down to write a record about historical figures who I felt had been kind of overlooked, shall we say, and, and indeed that made for cool songs. I mean, it's important to throw that in there as well. But, mm -hmm. you know, I started off with a song about a witch in Camden, and then I wrote a song about Sister Rosetta Tharp because she was cool as shit. Um, and you know, I got about five or six songs in and realized that all of them so far are about female historical figures. And there's an obvious bit of politics to that in terms of what it says about our collective historiography. Um, and yeah. But that's the thing. History is not rewritten, but historiography is redone every generation. And so it should be. And I think that, you know, um, it's, this might be a hugely pretentious thing to say, but like if my contribution is just to kind of tilt the scales on that a little bit in a different direction, I would be happy with that. No, I don't think that's pretentious at all. I mean, I think that that's good. It's a positive conversation, <laughs> especially with everything well, going on so. in the world right now. You know, you talk about the, yeah. you know, the, the real history and the fake history, and that's something that people yeah, have yeah. to grapple with right now. Uh, Completely. You know, it's, that's just a big part of it, you know? Completely. I mean, I've, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of living through real history for the first time in my adult life, which is a, a reflection of both the time and the place in which I was born and all the rest of it. But like, yep. as somebody who's really into history, it's kind of interesting to finally be living through some proper history and kind of going, eh, I'm not sure how much I like this. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of, totally. uh, it was kind of easier when that shit wasn't going down. Um, totally. But, but you have to play the hand you dealt.
Yeah. Well, you start to realize, too, like how much history changes in the midst of history, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. You know, because even, you know, we, we look back like a month and everything was different. And a month before that was everything was different. And like if you think of something like, you know, you talk about you think about history, like the first thing that comes to mind is like some kind of fucking war, you know. And like that must have been what that was like, yeah, too. Yeah. you know, when you're in a war, it's 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 like this for one group of people and like this for one group of people and this group of people is writing on this day and they're writing about it on this day and and you know everything gets so convoluted that there really isn't the history is such a is so one person's perspective and now we're really starting to understand that that is absolutely 100% the case right completely and just and, and you know i mean i don't have a single narrative of lockdown from my own experience i'm one person do you know what i mean i've yeah. had different kind of thoughts and feelings and evolutions during it and and you know if you're trying to synthesize a view of of the experience of a society or a nation or whatever it might be imagine how difficult that actually is to do meaningfully so yeah it's completely yeah. it's uh, it's Crazy. it's really interesting but I, I think it makes me kind of appreciate that we have been people our age have thus far been pretty fortunate in our lives because you've never really suffered any kind of meaningful hardship like this before collectively obviously individuals have their own hardships i'm right. not that but like you know right. a, a society-wide kind of event a catastrophe however you want to put it and also that this isn't it's not like it's fucking world war ii no one's actually bombing our houses or trying to fucking kill us you know what i mean exactly. like it's so i think there's hopefully there's some humility for me and for other people in there as well dude well said well, Frank, we did it, man. We did the thing. We did it. It's so nice to catch up with you, man. It's and, been too long. Yeah, you too. And I'm I'm gonna have Mike uh I think on next week. He he he's oh, agreed, fantastic. he's agreed to it, so hopefully he comes through. Um I'm sure he will. I'll tell him you said hello. what should I ask him <laughs> what should I ask him about this this whole project? Is there anything that you know ask him, you, you'd ask like him me to ask that you can't? <laughs> Frank or rancid. Oh, really? You wanna know? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I tell you, I, I love Rancid more than the next guy. Uh, yeah. I'd really Me love, too. truly love the band. They're one of my favorites of all yeah, time. Yeah. I think they missed the mark on a few of those no effect songs. I think that's probably true. But I mean, in the, in the broader sense of the question, Frank or Rancid, the answer is clearly Rancid. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but let's see what Mike says to that. I, I'm tell him, I'll definitely ask him that. Uh, Frank, so, thanks so much, man. Uh, I'm going to play a song a from your uh, from your last record. Uh, which one of the No Man's Land songs should I play? Uh, I think we should play Ginny Bingham's Ghost, the first track on the record. It's the first song I wrote for the record, and it's uh, it's uh, it's funny. The, I, the words folk punk get hung around my neck pretty regularly, and I have a pretty fractious relationship with that because right. it seems pretty re- reductive to me. But um, when I finished that song, I was like, huh, well, I guess this is a folk punk song. You know, there I mean, I'm not sure that much of what I do is, but this is definitely a folk punk song. That's right. Hey, it's a great song. So uh, I'll play it right now. Here it is. If you're heading down to Camden Town, be sure to raise a toast to the patron saint of the waifs and strays, to Ginny Bingham's ghost. She was a fresh-faced lass from Kentish Town She came, her people, they were peddlers Ginny Bingham was her name With her husband, Gypsy George A Camden coach house they did keep Till they hung him by his neck From Tyburn Tree for stealing sheep It broke her heart to lose her love When she was just a child So a man named Darby took the hand Of Ginny meek and mild He was a drinker, not a thinker Daily brought his wife to tears Till one Camden winter morning Darby simply disappeared If you're heading down to Camden Town Be sure to raise a toast to the patron saint of the waste and strays, Ginny Bingham's ghost. She earned her reputation on those bitter Camden streets. If you'd tarry with the Bingham girl, you'd hold your manhood cheap. But even so, the miser pitcher was the third man on her lips. Till one night they checked her oven, found it burned up to a crisp. They tried her for his murder, thought they'd finally cooked her goose. But even when the next man died, Ginny somehow slipped the noose. He was a fugitive from justice for love she took him in but he beat her once too often and the poison did him in if you're heading down to camden town be sure to raise a toast to the painter saying that the waste of strays to ginny bingham's ghost
outside A mob broke down her door And from her chair her body pried The tavern is still standing It's now called the underworld And it still offers sanctuary For all broken boys and girls So let's hand down to Camden Town And for this race and toast There is music from Frank's album, No Man's Land, and the track, Ginny Bingham's Ghost, on Lead Singer Syndrome. That was a fun talk, huh? Thank you so much for tuning in, and a big reminder that next week, on Wednesday, we will have Fat Mike of No Effects back on the show. This is always exciting for me, and it's a good one. Really, really a good one. So make sure you are subscribed, okay? Hit the subscribe button. And of course, we have some great guests coming up after as well. I can't wait for you to hear them all. You didn't think I was going to leave without playing a No Effects Frank Turner split song, did you? Of course not. I got to play one. I'm looking at the list right now. Which will I choose? Well, I've got to go with the closing track, I think. This one we talked about in the podcast and it's like just close your eyes and take a breath and take all of this in. It's really, really super unique for Frank Turner and even more unique for no effects. Here it is. Close your eyes and listen. It's called Falling in Love. Last time 